friends have been asked to speak about the book of Ephesians from a messianic perspective but I want to stick to what the actual Bible says rather than look at just Jewish backgrounds but in this letter Paul addresses a congregation that is mainly though not exclusively made out of Gentiles with some Jewish people and so what I want to do today is look a little bit about the background the date and authority uh, his name, because we commonly call him Paul, but he had another name. The greeting to the church and the blessing that follows. And particularly the eight spiritual blessings and the conclusion. Now the books of Philippians, Colossians and Philemon, together with Ephesians, are sometimes referred to as the prison epistles. In other words, it is thought that these letters were written from jail. So this would be during Paul's first imprisonment. For two years, Paul was kept in the barracks of the Praetorian Guard. Now some prisoners, and it's thought that Paul was too, were allowed to live in their own rented accommodation near the barracks. And this might have been his case, we don't really know. The body of Messiah or commonly known as the church at Ephesus, begun with Aquila, a Messianic Jew, and his wife Priscilla. When Paul made a short stop there at the end of his second missionary journal, journey, Acts 18.2, Romans 16.3.4, uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 2, Romans chapter 16, verse 3-4, he stopped there and he connected with them. In subsequent journeys, in chapter 19 of Acts, he stayed there on his third journey for about three years. And so he had taught them quite a bit. And the message wasn't just for the Ephesians, the message spread out through the region of Asia Minor, what is commonly known as Turkey today. And it's the message of Yeshua that is now spread throughout the region. Now Ephesus is one of the most significant cities in the Roman commercial, political and religious empire. And the most famous of these religious aspects was the Temple of Artemis, uh, commonly known also as Diana. And so here was a pagan shrine dedicated to a foreign god, foreign goddess, and Paul is ministering right in the heart of this city. And Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, sorry, that's the wrong reference. Timothy led this church for some time. And according to church tradition, John made his headquarters here in Ephesus. And the early church father, Polycrates, uh, who was a bishop of Ephesus, claims that John's tomb even was at Ephesus. Uh, one of the other church fathers, Irenaeus, uh, he was a bishop later on in Lyon, claimed that John wrote his gospel and epistles from Ephesus. Now the letter is written by Paul and it's it's about the year 61, give or take. It's towards the end of his physical life. 
Uh, Paul was very intelligent, uh, courageous, devoted, and zealous. He was a rabbinical scholar and theologian. In Galatians 1.14, he actually says he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his peers of his own age. He was extremely zealous for the tradition of the elders or his fathers. And so he is a dyed-in-the-wool Pharisee, well acquainted with the tradition of the elders. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, was also a troublemaker, and you'll forgive me, because when we read through the book of Acts, we see that nearly every synagogue where he came, he was thrown out, because his message was radical. He proclaimed that Jew and Gentile were equal. Now, Paul not only was Jewish, but he also had Roman citizenship. And he had the ability to write in Hebrew and Greek and probably also in Latin. And being familiar with Jewish and Greek and Roman literature, we can see that he addresses men of all caliber, both Jewish men and men who worship at the shrine of the unknown God, Acts 17.21. So Paul had a wide range of abilities and connectabilities to the people that he was ministering to. Now in Acts 13, verse 9, we read that for the first time his name is used. And literally what it says is Saul who was also called Paul, not Saul who changed his name to Paul, which is often claimed that now that he is a believer in Yeshua, his name changed. But there is nothing to indicate that in our text. Now, why was the name changed? Well, Saul is still an English pronunciation. The Hebrew would be Shaul. Uh, the Greek would be Saulus. Uh, Shaul. But the problem is that Greeks don't have a word combination or any letter that makes up the word sh. They cannot sh, shush each other. They are therefore much louder than us. You'll forgive that little joke. Uh, Greeks are not able to say Shaul. And so, to make it comfortable for them, what does he do? He or his parents probably chose a name that is either similar or starts with the same letter combination. Well, that's not possible. So they named him to a similar sound, and that would be Paulus, which then becomes Paul in English. Even in Acts 21, although it's reflecting back, you will see that he is called Shaul, or Saul, brother Saul. In other words, he did not change his name upon repentance and the acceptance of Messiah, commonly called his conversion, though that's the wrong term. The Apostle Shaul was one of the great missionaries and evangelists of all time, yet he was also a prophet. A prophet is somebody who reveals the mysteries of God, who can declare the word of God that has not yet been revealed. And Paul does this on a number of occasions by revealing the mysteries. He was privileged to hear the very words from God himself and communicate those messages that he heard to his readers and to us. This is the divine revelation given to Shaul. But he's most 
or best known as the apostle, uh, literally a sent one. That's what the word apostle means, an emissary, a representative. He is the representative of Yeshua, the Son of God, the Ben Elohim. He was a, a unique apostle, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. It's kind of interesting that Yeshua chose 12 country cousins, you'll forgive me, uh, country bumpkins who had relatively little understanding to reach the Jewish people, yet the one who had the greatest amount of information about Judaism at the time, he sends to the Gentiles. And it makes sense to some degree, because the message that he was given is about Messiah and him alone. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Messiah, Yeshua, and him crucified. It wasn't anymore about the Judaism that Paul had greatly studied. It was now about Messiah and him alone. He was an apostle, not by his own desire. You'll see that also in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. But like the prophet Jeremiah, he is called by God, set apart, Galatians 1, 15, by God before he was born. And God had called him by his grace. So it wasn't his own plan or his own effort or his own authority or the authority given to him by some rabbinical academy but by the will of God who had chosen him before he was even born. It seems strange to us that, that the Lord himself chose 12 country cousins, yet the bulk of the writing of the new covenant is written by Paul. And Paul isn't just a man alone. He is acknowledged by the other apostles, Acts 21. Yet he is opposed by false and misguided and even leading brothers. 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 are two chapters on that. Uh, even today, sadly, he is denounced in some circles. There are some on the extreme fringe of the Jewish roots movement or the Hebrew roots movement that claim that Paul was severely misrepresenting the faith and that we all should be under the Torah of Moses. Now, don't get me wrong, we are under Torah, we are under law, the law of Messiah. We are no longer under the law of Moses because it is impossible to keep that law. There is no temple for starters, before I hear any argument, and more than a third of the law, perhaps even more than that, only relates to the temple and its services. And the book of Hebrew clearly declares that it is over and done with. Those in the extreme fringes of the Hebrew Roots movement misrepresent Paul. Uh, these are some of the people who in the past would have been called the Ebonites. Friends, we need to pay very careful attention, as we did previously with the letter to the Galatians. This letter is written to the body of Messiah, Jew and Gentile, on how to come together and be one in Messiah. God chose this apostle, Shaul, Paul, to write the bulk of the New Testament and his imprint, and really God's imprint by his spirit, is not just on the faith that comes from that, Messianic Judaism, Christianity, but also on Western civilizations. 
His authority is resting on God himself. Now he writes to us and he says to the saints, to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Messiah Yeshua. These are Jews and Gentiles at Ephesus. They were holy people set apart, not saints in that funny way, but saints as in set apart. Holy people made holy by God and set apart out of this sinful world to accomplish God's purposes here on earth. Set apart by God to serve him, the Holy One, blessed be he, who lives forever and ever. As are we, we too are called in that same way. And some back then, and I hope and I pray many of us today, may live in that reality, knowing that we are set apart by God for his good purposes, and we are saints because of him. They are in Messiah, they are standing in his grace, and they are joined in Messiah, the ultimate prophet who had spoken the words of God. Note that little phrase, in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, this is distinct from those that are not in Messiah. This little, very important phrase is also declared in two other verses in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul teaches that those in Messiah Yeshua are a new creation. And in Romans 8 verse 1, the apostle teaches that for those in Messiah there is no condemnation. So that's a little important phrase. We're a new creation, no longer under condemnation. But that is only true if we are in him, in Yeshua. That means that we've accepted him and the sacrifice that he made for our sin. Because we are in Messiah, who died for us, we've become a new creation, no longer under condemnation. Therefore, we've become, standing in his righteousness, saints. We are saved with an everlasting salvation. And he writes to the faithful in Messiah, not just those that had joined the fellowship, but those that were in Messiah, and he calls them to be faithful, loyal to God, sharing the message of his Son, loyal to the teachings of Scripture, holding fast to the priority given to the body of Messiah and to God's will. And so Paul greets them in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Paul is praying that God the Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah would bless the Ephesian with grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor, and with shalom, with peace. Not the absence of war, though that is part of peace, but with peace with God and with one another. How do we obtain peace with God? Through Messiah Yeshua, that final sacrifice. How do we obtain it with one another? By being gracious to one another and by listening to what Paul is now declaring to us on the unity. And he'll deal with that in chapter 2 and 3. I have to be honest, I like this greeting, grace and peace, much better. Because since the fall of Adam and Eve, we are in desperate need of both grace and peace. 
And let's be honest, it's so much better than the Aussie salute. G'day mate, how you going? Uh, I get it. Uh, we don't often say grace and peace to you, but it's something that perhaps we should start taking up. Grace and peace. Grace extended to us in Messiah Yeshua so that we can declare that we now have peace with Abba, with our Father in Heaven, who's created us for His purposes. Paul, as I said, was thought to be in prison and possibly facing death. And he does something almost unbiblically. Uh, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and the most common type of psalm is the complaint psalm. Oh Lord, how long? How long will these enemies rule? Oh Lord, how long do I have to suffer? The complaint psalm of David when he's in the cave, or any of the complaint psalms that he makes. As I said, Paul is almost unbiblically here, because how does he start? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing of Messiah. Paul doesn't complain being in prison. He doesn't complain that he's on death row. He doesn't complain that he's been mistreated and has rotten food to eat. He doesn't complain about all of those things. No. He now says, despite my dire situation, praise be to God, our Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He's trying to teach us that it's okay to complain once in a while, but don't stay there. Don't remain in that. Start rejoicing and see what God can do. He might not change the situation. I'm not declaring this as a prophetic message, but we often just complain because it's so much easier. But the apostle is saying, hey, praise him for what he has blessed us with in heavenly realms. Now he's writing to the Ephesians, a mainly Gentile congregation, and he says, there are spiritual blessings for those that are in Messiah, not the physical ones, they remain to the people of Israel. Uh, the physical blessing of the land, no, that, that is to Israel exclusively. God will give people who are in the Millennial Kingdom uh, the chance to do something. And some of us will reign, but not all of us. And some of us might only reign over a local area or a local thing. Some of us a little bit bigger, but not the land of Israel. That's chosen by God for that people, the nation of Israel. But in Ephesians 1, 4, we were chosen by God like Israel was chosen. They were the chosen people. The church is never called the chosen people, but we are chosen individuals. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 and 7 indicate that Israel is the chosen people. We were predestined, in verse 5, unto the adoption as children of God, like Israel of old, uh, who God knew. Uh, the old and new covenant followed that same pattern. Isaiah 48, verse 8. Uh, Israel was predestined as children. They were adopted as sons of God. 
we've become acceptable in the beloved. Verse 6, as is Israel. These are spiritual blessings, not the physical. In Ephesians 1, 7, we've been redeemed through his blood. Israel too was redeemed. Uh, the greatest redemption that they received obviously is Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus 12, uh, the redemption out of Egypt, uh, the Passover lamb, and those kind of connections. They had a physical, we have a spiritual deliverance. They too one day will experience that spiritual salvation. We've received the forgiveness of our sins. Because we are now in Messiah. Just as God promised Israel that he would remove, as far as the east is from the west, remove their transgressions from them. Psalm 103 verse 12. In Ephesians verse, chapter 1 verses 9 to 10, he then tells us the mystery of his will. Now the mystery at this point is not yet revealed, but in Ephesians 3 6 later on in this chapter he then reveals that the Gentiles are fellow heirs fellow members of the same body and fellow partakers of the promise of Messiah Yeshua through the gospel and this is a mystery not revealed in the Old Testament in the Tanakh this is new this is the mystery and so here Paul now, as a prophet, is declaring a new thing. And the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body. That new body that had been created in Messiah Yeshua, the Ecclesia, the Church, the Kehillah, that body now is extended to the Gentiles. And in verse 11 it then says that we have obtained an inheritance through Messiah. An alternative translation reads, made part of the Lord's portion which is his people. And I like that because that very much leans on Deuteronomy 32 verse 9. But we've obtained an inheritance through Messiah and we have become his people as Jew and Gentile now come together. And verse 13, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is, his mark of ownership is upon us. Just as the Jewish people put on tefillin, phylacteries, those little boxes on their forehead and on their arm, uh, Exodus 13, verse 9, Deuteronomy 6, 8, uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18, they're referenced in the New Covenant as well in Matthew 23, 5, uh, that was that physical mark, that sealing of their faithfulness. But now God seals that by the Holy Spirit as a mark of ownership on us. We've now become His. Now He's chosen us in Him. Verses 4 and 5. And made us children. Listen to these words. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, without blame, before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Yeshua the Messiah, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In Yeshua we were chosen, 
like Israel. We were predestined according to the plan of God. And his plans never fail. What is his purpose? That we should be holy. That is without blame before him in love. And so there is a response on our behalf to walk holy, to walk blamelessly before him and to walk in love. These are not easy things to do. To walk in a holy manner, to walk in a blameless manner and to extend the love that he has given us and being predestined, he will help us within this. As I said, like of old, Israel was chosen, so we are chosen. They are the chosen people, we are chosen individuals. In Ephesians 1.5, they were predestined as children. So too, in Isaiah 48, verse 8. Verse 6 then, to the praise of His glory, of His grace, in which He has made us acceptable in the one having been loved. We've become acceptable. The emphasizing here, or the emphasis is on the relational aspect between God and us. By describing the status of a beloved one. He's made us acceptable because he loved us first. And that's why we are acceptable. And in him, verses 7 and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, by which he caused to abound towards us all wisdom and understanding. Redemption was always a price that had to be paid for the freedom of the people and for the freedom of the land or the liberation of the land. Leviticus 25 would be a good background chapter. The price of blood is the price of redemption, but not the blood of goats and bulls. No, the blood of Messiah himself that he shed on the cross. It's the blood that he took to the heavenly tabernacle to secure for us these heavenly blessings. These blessings from God the Father, from God the Son, are confirmed to us according to his righteousness and his holiness, not according to the works that we've performed, but according to the riches of his grace. Like the pigeon, the redemption of the firstborn son in Exodus 13, there was an exchange. There it was money, now it is blood. Messiah himself paid the highest ransom for us. Moshe ben Meyer, a Messianic Jew, wrote on uh, the book of Ephesians and he wrote this, but money cannot redeem man from eternal death. Man has nothing with which to redeem himself or others. God himself must redeem him from the power of the grave. But as it is written, I have found a ransom. And that is the ransom of the blood of Messiah. God himself, through the blood of Messiah, redeemed us. He found that ransom, Job 
chapter 33, verse 24. Because God himself had to redeem us from the power of the grave. Psalm 49, verse 15 or 16, depending on the Hebrew or the English translation. And let's be honest, we can't redeem ourselves. Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8 or 8 and 9, depending on the translation. Verse 7, we've been redeemed through his blood. And that, to some degree, presupposes a captivity or a slavery. Just as God redeemed by his hand Israel through the blood of the Passover lamb, so too we are redeemed from our bondage, from our land of bondage, from our land of sin. And we've been redeemed through him. We've received the forgiveness of our sins, that is separation from the consequences of our transgressions. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself for an administration of the fullness of time, to head up all things in Messiah, both the things in heaven and the things on earth, even in him in whom also we have been chosen to be an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, for us to be the praise of his glory, who, had, who previously had trusted in Messiah. Paul here now makes a little bit known about the mystery of his will. A part of what belongs to us under the riches of his grace is the knowledge of the mystery of his will, God's great plan and purpose of redemption, which was hidden in ages past, but now revealed to Shaul, to the apostle, and in Yeshua. God calls us to consider the greatness of his plan for the ages, past and present. He then, in chapter 3, will explain what that mystery is, that unity of Jew and Gentile is equal before God, so that he may gather them together in one, all things in Messiah, both things in heaven and on earth, not just for Jews, not just for Gentiles, but all things are reconciled through Yeshua, because he is the redeeming Savior. Since the fall of Satan, all of creation has groaned, Romans 8. But the day will come when in and through Yeshua, all things will be reconciled according to God's holy and righteous purposes and the redemptive work of Messiah Yeshua. So that we, having obtained an inheritance, not because of what we've done, but receiving the inheritance from Yeshua, who made that acceptable atonement. Because we trusted first in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, those who trusted first were the Jews, then those who trusted you also, in verse 13, it's the Gentile believers. But together we receive God's great plan of redemption, 
because these are the spiritual blessings that he talks about and they are equally true for Jew and Gentile the mystery that is revealed is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs radical no wonder that Paul had so much trouble in the synagogues telling them that no Gentiles don't have to observe the law of Moses it was radical but both of us have obtained an inheritance through Messiah in verse 13 then he says in whom also you hearing the word of truth the gospel of our salvation in whom also believing you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the earnest of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory the word of truth is the gospel of our salvation Paul here makes a Hebrew parallelism where he says this is one way to say it this is another you often find that in the book of Psalms and so the word of truth is the gospel of our salvation and that is what we've believed and therefore we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise stamped marked as an indicating of authority over us and ownership we belong to him the seal is the Holy Spirit himself who now indwells us and his presence in our life should cause us to be a blessing to others and should give us the ability to rest in our salvation knowing that it is eternally secured because of what he has done we have this guarantee because we've been completely purchased by him not anything we've done Jews and Gentiles are the recipients of many blessings God has predestined us to be children of God making us acceptable to him by his redeeming blood brought by the forgiveness of our trespasses and still allowing us despite our trespasses receiving the knowledge of the mysteries of God making us recipients of the inheritance the spiritual blessings and sealing us by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption friends I can only say with the words of the Apostle John from his fullness we have all received Jew and Gentile grace upon grace in light of this we ought to serve God these spiritual blessings and heavenly realms that are poured out upon us are an aid to us that we may live out the truths share them within the body of Messiah and tell the world what Yeshua has done from time to time we need to stop and ponder these things so that we don't remain unresponsive to these truths but become excited again as we were at first when we first came to know Yeshua and that with the Apostle Paul we can say praise be to our God our Father who has blessed us despite 
our circumstances and not launch into a complaint about our difficulties in our life, but declare to the body and to the world that we've been blessed in spiritual blessings, been blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. And we want to communicate the mystery of the unity of Messiah. Friends, I don't know if you know the song, Count Your Blessings, Count Them One by One. It could have been written about this segment. Friends, let's count our blessings and see what he has done. Selah.